Let's open our Bibles and go to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Briefly, I want to teach from the title, When God Gives Help. Sometimes we forget that we need that, but that's a four-letter word that can bring about great power in our lives when we cry out to the king, that little word, help. But in Psalm 122, notice, excuse me, Psalm 121, verse 2, notice the wording. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now, all of us have been in predicaments before where we have needed assistance. There's no shame in needing help. Your car breaks down along the side of the road. If you have a flat tire and you don't know how to handle any of the repairs and the fixing of that. It's always nice when somebody comes along at the right time to provide some assistance. The beautiful thing about the help that God provides is that he gives us help in the valley He provides us help from the hills, and we can also find help in the sanctuary. And those three thoughts are what I'm wanting to deal with today. Now, if you look in Psalm 23, you'll see this is what we call the shepherd's psalm. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because of the presence of the shepherd... We have supply, green pastures, steel waters, restoration or revival in our inward man. We find paths of righteousness. But notice verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now what is a valley? It's a depressed area of the earth or in the landscape that typically is surrounded by hills or mountains. It's called a valley because it's at a lower elevation. Now, a valley is a place where we do find from time to time inhabitants in Scripture. Some people find it a comfortable place to build a home, make a living. It says in Judges chapter 1, verse 19, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. Though sometimes in the valley you have to fight, it becomes a place of warfare. This is where you as a Christian have to stand your ground and give no place to the devil. I can promise you he's looking for an inch. And if you budge, he'll take a mile. He wants to inhabit your thoughts. He wants to control your thinking. Because if he can control your thinking, he can control your actions. He wants to manipulate your emotions. He'll do this very often when you pass into a valley. Well, notice in verse 4, it speaks of the valley of the shadow of death. Well, what's a shadow? A shadow is something that... Is a, is, a, is a result of or the product of the, the placement of light in certain areas. 
So a shadow is cast because of the light. But when we think of the issue of death, death touches us all. From Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. There's not a person in here that has not been touched by, affected by, moved by death. You've had funerals. You've been to funerals. You've lost loved ones, a mom, a dad, a child, a cousin, a friend, or foe. Death has laid its hand on many people, and people have had to come through this particular valley. But the key in knowing verse 4 is that it says, Yea, though I walk through the valleys. Valleys weren't made for Christian encampment. Valleys were made for us to pass through them. It is not God's desire for you to live in the valley. But if there's an entrance, there's an exit. And since God doesn't want you to live a life that is depressed as the land element in the valley, you need to understand that you're going to have to fight and be like Judah. So since the scripture says in Judges 119 that the Lord was with Judah, but yet they couldn't defeat those adversaries in the valley. Remember, Jesus is a descendant of the tribe of Judah. The word Judah means praise. So for us that are Christian and now seated in heavenly places in Christ, we praise God in the valley. We don't allow our problems and our troubles to be bigger than our God. Can you say amen? There's no doubt about it. So the valley of the shadow of death is a reality for many people. Somebody died last night. Somebody's preparing for a funeral tomorrow. And this is the reality of this world until the final, the final end where the, 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 the final enemy is defeated, which is death. But notice what the psalmist says here. David says, I will not fear evil. So even if you pass through difficulties, pass through a valley, that's not a place for you to be afraid. We have people afraid all over the place right now. And the last year has demonstrated how powerful fear is. It paralyzed the world. And in many places today, the paralysis is still in effect. It's hard for me to grasp, it's hard for you to understand that a year later after the beginnings of COVID and there still are places in America where churches cannot meet. There are still countries on this earth where people are locked down and cannot leave. Scripture says when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear any evil. So we need to understand what is evil, what is good, and to know that our approach to it when we position ourselves walking through the valley is that our hearts will be filled with faith and not with fear. To trust God, to believe God. And here's what he says in verse 4 also. For you are with me. Here is the reason Christians should not be afraid of the evil in the world. There's a lot of bad stuff in this world, folks. I'm telling you right now. Paul even said in ancient times, it's the kind of evil that you shouldn't even mention with your lips. I mean, we've got murder, trouble, difficulties, and we have robbery and theft. Extortion, blackmail, 
We have people that are involved with selling kids around the world, but with all of that taking place, we still have the promise that if we're believers and in covenant with God, he's with us. He's with us. And his presence is so powerful that it produces in us a confidence in God so that we can face our foes and adversaries and not be afraid. Folks, good is going to overcome evil. It doesn't matter if evil looks like it's overcoming good. I can promise you at the end, God's going to overcome evil. And he said that in the book of Romans. You don't have to worry about avenging yourselves against your adversaries. He said, look, if people aren't acting right and treating you right, he said, you overcome evil with good. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That's his design. So the valley may be filled with the shadow of death. The valley may be filled with evil. But the thing is, if all of that is in the valley and I'm in the valley, then I need to know because I'm in covenant with God, God's in the valley also. I'm not alone. He's in the valley. And if he's in the valley, it says his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Every Christian needs comfort. All of us need that in the midst of of trials and tribulations to know that the presence of God, which produces the fullness of joy, that at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. No matter what I'm facing in this world, I can find comfort in God. That's what he's saying. So where do I find help in the valley? From God. In the midst of any trial, test, tribulation, God, financial distress, I find my help in God. Problems in my body, infirmity that's taking place and it's manifesting in this body. Where am I going to find my help? God. I'm facing whatever I'm dealing with. I've got a God that's bigger than every trial and every test that I'm dealing with. So the scripture is clear. His rod... His staff, they comfort me. Now, why do they comfort me? Because he's going to use that rod to beat off the enemy if he has to. Yeah. He's going to fight for me. Scripture says the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a man of war. He knows how to battle. He's not a novice at warfare in the valley. He knows exactly what he's doing. So he paid the price. By sending his son made it possible for us to resist the devil. And the scripture makes it very plain. The adversary is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour, whom you are to overcome with your faith. It doesn't say you overcome him with fear. You overcome him with your faith. And the scripture says in first John, we overcome the world by what? Our faith. Trust God. Have confidence in God. Be courageous in God. Well, then let's look then at Psalm 121 again. This particular psalm is at the center of a series of psalms that the Israelites would sing at feast time. Now, depending on what kind of Bible you have, you will probably have a little superscription that says a song of degrees. And the reason it says that is because the, the, the temple was on the mountain. And as the people approached the temple from the valley, they would begin to sing these different hymns, Psalm 121, 22, 23, and so on and so forth. And as they were approaching the temple of God, 
They would be praising God and singing about God. Notice the language of verse 1. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now the reason he says I will and the reason they're singing I will because this is a matter of choice. You make the decision what you're going to do in the midst of a trial. And the reason they're lifting their eyes to the hills is because the hills are greater and broader and vaster in the landscape than anything else they can see. Now we talk about the word circumstances. Circumstances is an English word that comes from the Latin. And of course, the, the, the first part of the word circum has to do with being around, something around you. We talk about a circumference, something that is going around. So a circumstance is something that is standing around you. You find yourself surrounded by problems. And most Christians, maybe not you, but many Christians, when they find themselves surrounded by difficulties and all kinds of other issues, they are focused on what it is that they can see. But you have to be the kind of believer that's willing to fight. And you've got to change your perspective. So he says, lift your eyes to the hills. See, the hills are bigger than your problem. The hills are bigger because God is in the hills. Now, you know as well as I do, God lives inside of us. But the imagery is that the, the vast mountainscape and the hillsides are so intimidating and so imposing that we're not facing a problem that's bigger than our God. So he says, that's where our solution is, in the hills. Let's not forget the story of Elisha the prophet and Gehazi, his servant. And Elisha was a man of God. And this man knew sometimes what was going on in the king's quarters in the other country. So one night they went to sleep. Got up the next morning, Gehazi, I guess, was making his way to the well to bring back a bucket of water for the man of God so he could, you know, clean up the place or whatever. So he, he, he gets up, of course, he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And as we normally do, we just start moseying through the house without paying attention to where we're going. He makes his way down to the well. And then by the time he gets down there, washes his face and then starts moseying back, he realizes he hears the sounds of hundreds of horses that are braying. And he looks up and he sees all of these soldiers that are on these horses and they're in these chariots and they look angry. And so he starts walking faster to get back to the house where the man of God is. And he said, sir, I'm telling you, I just came from outdoors and I looked out there and there are, there's an army of folks out there. And they do not look like they're here for a fellowship meal. And I don't think they're here to ask you for your autograph. I don't know what we're going to do. Well, Elisha, he wasn't worried. He wasn't concerned at all. This man of God looked at his servant and said, you know, there are more of us than there are of them. Well, you know what Gehazi did. He did what you and I would have done. He walked back over there to the curtains and looked through them one more time, looked out this all and people. He said, hold on now. You obviously hadn't been outdoors yet because there are two of us. And there are hundreds and hundreds of them out there. That man of God simply bowed his head and prayed a prayer. He said, oh God, open the eyes of 
my servant that he might see. And he said, Gehazi, look again. Gehazi went back over there and he moved that curtain. This time he pulled it back a little bit further and the hills were dotted with chariots of fire because the army of the Lord was in the hillside. And of course, now he's ready to rumble. Now he said, oh, yes, we can handle the adversary and the enemy now. But it's a matter of focus and perspective. This man came to see what the man of God saw before his eyes were ever open. That's what separates strong believers from those who are somewhat weaker in the faith. You have to believe that God is with you and on your side even before you see it. You've got to be able to recognize it spiritually before you see a manifestation of it in the natural. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If God is for you, who can be against you? Thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in all things. Gehazi, there are more with us than there are with them. Man, I like a God like that. I'm telling you. So the scripture is very plain here in Psalm 121. I'll lift my eyes unto the hills. So you have to look up. Stop focusing on everything going on around you. Get your eyes off of the problems on the inside of your house, inside your marriage, inside a church, inside a community, inside a nation. And look to the one, as it says in verse 2, who made the heaven and the earth. So if God is big enough to make this big ball of wax, and the scripture says he's numbered every hair on our head, And he knows when a bird falls to the ground. Don't you think he can handle your trial? Don't you think he can handle your test or that tribulation that has come into your life? The psalmist says in verse 1, I'm looking to the hills from whence cometh my help. Why is he saying that? Because he knows that there's help from the hills. Help coming from the hills. And if he knew that in ancient times, What do we know as Christians who are now seated in the throne with the Lord Jesus Christ? There's help on the throne for us that serve God, you see? Okay, well, if God is our source of assistance and aid, and our source is the one who made heaven and earth, why are we nervous? Why are we nervous? What what should we do? What can we do? We can praise God. Thank the Lord for his presence. His presence is necessary because without his presence, we can't continue. We'll lose our joy. And we don't want our our praise to be hollow. And by hollow, I mean it's possible to praise God and the presence of God not be there. You say, well, how in the world could that happen? Do you remember when the Philistines had set up their armies on an opposing side of a great plain, and the Israelites were on this side. And the Israelites looked over at all of them angry Philistines and said, this is going to be an ugly battle. They said, I think it'd be better if we get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out here. So they sent runners back to where the priest was at. And sure enough, the priest sent his sons and they bore the ark and they made their way slowly back to where the children of Israel were camped out. And when the ark got close and then the ark came into the camp, as scripture says that the children of Israel shouted and screamed and all the heavens rang with their praises. 
And the Philistines said, what in the world is all of that noise over there? Sounds like camp meeting amongst the Israelites. They said, well, their God has come in their midst and they're praising their God. And the Philistines said, okay, we got to get ready to fight and be strong in this battle because it looks like their God has come to help them. And sure enough, as they were dancing and praising the Lord on the Israelite side, the battle commenced and the Philistines wore the children of Israel out, defeated them. Said, why? Because they weren't living in accordance with God's word. They hadn't been doing the will of God. They had the ark, but they didn't have the presence of God. See? And it's possible to have a Bible on your shelf and have all kinds of memorabilia from an old church you once attended and have old crutches from somebody that was healed from a revival in 1965. And you can have all of that memorabilia in your house and still not have the presence of God and shout and dance and glorify him and not have him. But we have to live the book. And we got to live this thing in the presence of the king. This is why the scripture is fairly plain here. I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help doesn't come from a CD. It doesn't come from a video. It doesn't come from a particular city. It doesn't come from my favorite preacher. It doesn't come from my favorite church person. My help comes from God. That's who I'm going to look to. I'm not going to find my help in my spouse. I'm not going to find it in my greater family. I'm not going to find it in my community. Politics can't even give me the kind of assistance that I need. There's something I derive only from God, his life. Well, let's look at Psalm 73. So we've told you we can find help in the valley. We've told you we can find help in the hills. Psalm 73 I want you to see how we can find help in the sanctuary. Notice verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. I like that. God is good. That describes his nature. Your heart and my heart is clean because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even with that, the psalmist is telling us, and the psalmist is Asaph. Asaph was a musician in the Old Testament. He was also a prophet in the Old Testament. He could take stringed instruments, as the kings and chronicles describe, and he could prophesy through music. So anointed was this man, Asaph. This man, in composing this song, He speaks of the goodness of God in verse 1, but notice verse 2. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's saying, I came to a place in my life where I almost backslid. I came to a point in my life where this good God didn't seem to be so fair to me. It seemed to me like he treated the wicked people better than he treated his own people that loved him. And that's why verse 2 says, my, my steps had well nigh slipped. The path that I was on seemed to me that I, I couldn't get a firm foundation. I couldn't get myself grounded. Now, why is that? 
Because of verse 3 in the following verses. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Folks, if you get your eyes off of God and on the foolish and on the prosperity that sinners have, you very well can get offended at God. There are a lot of people like that in this world. And when you talk to them about Jesus or talk to them about coming to church, they'll say things like this. I prayed one time for my uncle and my uncle died with cancer. You know what they're saying? I'm offended at God. And since God didn't do what I wanted God to do, he doesn't seem to be as good to me. I've met a whole lot of people that at one time or another used to be good, sound church people, loved the Lord, faithful to God for a season. And then something happened. A baby died. Something terrible or tragic happened. A marriage dissolved and fell apart. A tragedy with a car accident occurred. Or somebody lost their favorite job. I've seen people backslide because their favorite preacher moves to another town. I'm not serving God and going to church. You know what they're saying? My feet slipped. They're envious at the foolish and at the prosperity of the wicked. And we look and we see and we observe what's happening in the world. And we wonder, God, why do you let the prosperity of life come to those who hate you? Yeah, Yeah. foolish people, wicked people. We look at those up there on Capitol Hill and we say, Father, they're so arrogant. They're self-righteous. They want to pass laws to tell us what we can and cannot do. Why can't we just live the way we want to live in our own houses? Or if we want to go to a restaurant, but no, it can't be that way. Somebody has to tell you, well, the restaurants are selling or providing too much salt or too much sugar. Or some rich person wants to come along and just say, I I just think that, you know, you, you folks are eating too much beef. We need to learn how to eat synthetic beef. They'll have a staff of chefs at their house eating whatever they want. Or somebody else will come along and complain about how much room a family has in their home. And they'll say no family ought to have a house with that many rooms or that many acres or that many lots of land. And yet it seems like they're prospering. It seems like they're doing well. Hollywood comes along and they live lives that certainly aren't virtuous. I don't know why anybody would be envious of them unless you're interested in grandeur and splendor and all of that kind of a thing. But nevertheless, many of them change spouses more often than I change clothes. Their agents and that culture has created an environment in which no negative words can be spoken so that nobody ever has to feel bad about how they live. You see it all the time. It's in the school system. It's in our jobs. It's certainly in places where people work for the federal government, for the state and for the city. You have to be very careful about your language. You can't use certain adjectives that are derogatory and describe people in ways that are unfavorable. Doesn't matter what the color of their skin. Everything now is somewhat correct according to the politics of the wealthy people at the top or the wealthy people in the West. But the whole thing is hypocritical because you can still watch any program on television today and you'll find that the same people who do not want you talking about this sin or that sin will call one another one female dog after another. 
and they won't even use that phrase. The whole thing is hypocritical. And Christians say, well, God, why do you allow these people to prosper? And so many of your folks struggle. If you get your eyes off of the Lord and the goodness of God, and in that heart, in the secret places of your heart, you become envious of other people that don't serve God, you'll find that your feet will be almost gone and your steps will have well nigh slipped. This man goes on to say in verse 5, they don't have trouble like everybody else. They're not dealing with plagues like everybody else. But come on down a little bit further and notice verse number 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said it was just too much to have to meditate on all of this. But he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. So you can see here, there's help in the sanctuary. God provides discernment and gives a resolution to all kinds of issues. And it's in the house of God that God helps you to see what's going to take place in the end. So that man or woman that's living in sin, that man or woman that mocks you, that man or woman that's rebellious and refuses to listen to you and talks about you because you serve God and mocks your faith, they don't see that on the other side of their last breath, there's a terminal point. They can't see it. But coming into the house of God, I see it. Yeah. If I know their end, I also can understand my own end. Do you realize one day I'm going to be in a place called heaven? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in a place called heaven where there's no sickness and disease. There's a whole lot of happiness and joy. And around the throne there are people praising the king and loving on him. There's a place called heaven over there where I'm going to see a whole lot of saints that have gone on home before me. I'm going to meet a whole lot of them I didn't know also. So I can see what's in the end for me. The trumpet of God one day is going to sound. Dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain, Scripture says, we're going to be caught up. I hope it's on a Sunday evening while I'm preaching to you, folks. I'm telling you, it'd just be lovely for me to be up here ministering the word of God. Then I catch the sound of that trumpet, and then I'm going up, and you guys can sing all the hymns you want to sing. I'm headed home to be with glory. You say, Pastor, what are we then? What Are we supposed to be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Catch the first plane out of here, folks. We're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. And when the trumpet sounds, at that point, we'll gather around the throne. We'll be praising the Lord in heaven. Jesus is going to walk over to that throne and grab a book with a bunch of seals on it. And tribulation is going to break out down here on planet Earth. It's not going to be pretty at all, folks worth your while to serve God, have eternal bliss with him. Psalmist said, when you consider all of these people and their sins, I went into the house of God. I understood their end. They can't see it, but you can. They don't understand it, but we do. That when the wicked dies, 
They don't realize that for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for a wicked person to die without God, to be absent from the body is to be in hell. As sure as God made heaven. Hell is a place utter torment. Listen to me. If God were to pull back this carpet, just scrape it back with his fingers and just give us a glimpse into that horrible pit for just a few moments, I promise you, we'd be shrieking and crying and interceding for our loved ones. Yeah. And the folks that are in there right now, as sure as you're sitting, listening to me proclaim the word, if God were to give them an opportunity and say, for one split second, if any of you would shout the name of Jesus, you could come out of hell right now. I promise you everything down there would shout the name Jesus to get out of We understand their end. They're living a life, walking a path, and not even realizing that on the other side of that last breath, there's darkness, gnashing of teeth, and wailing. But for us to know God, there's nothing but glory. So we have help in the valley, help from the hills, help in the sanctuary. Well, let's never forget, folks, we're seated on the throne of God. Because we're on the throne and we're in Christ, we know that the helper is at work with us. Jesus said, I'm departing, but I'm going to send you another comforter. That's the helper. And he's going to be with us to help us overcome down here in this world. And just having him in our life, having him in our fellowship makes all the difference in the world. You don't have to be a preacher, just need to be a Christian and love God, have a relationship with him. 113 years ago, there was a prophecy in Indianapolis. And over there in that area, the prophecy was about God marching forth like an army, telling folks about Jesus all around the world, yokes being broken, lives being changed. People sat there in that little church and they heard that prophecy. Well, there was one gentleman, a man named Tom. He was over the age of 60. He and his wife decided they felt a call to go to South Africa. So they made preparation. Another gentleman named uh, J.O. Lehman, he also felt a call to South Africa. Same meeting. He and his wife and kids prepared to go. One other gentleman, John G. Lake, he and his wife and kids made their way to South Africa with them. So all together, there were 17 or so in that party that felt called to South Africa, but had no money to go. But God supernaturally arranged for them to be able to make it. So they got the ship and they made their way to South Africa, having a few church services along the way on the ship as they were praising God with their little company. But when they got to South Africa, you had to have X amount of dollars in your pocket or on your person in order to disembark. They didn't have any money. They all decided to get in line anyhow because they felt called to be in that country. And sure enough, as they stood there in line, one person after another on that ship came and put money in their hands. And I feel led to give you this money. They had all they needed when they got off that ship. They didn't know a soul, had no contacts, didn't have a place to stay. But yet they got on that ship 
sailed across the world, got off the boat, and they were wondering what to do. Well, several weeks before, there was a little lady who the Lord had come to in a dream and told her that some missionaries were coming, so I want you to get a house and furnish it for them. This missionary was down there just running around asking people getting off the ship, have you seen any missionaries? Are there anybody on board that, that, that's coming to do missions in South Africa? They were pointing in different directions, finally directed them over there to John G. Lake and his company. And she told them what I just told you. Now they had a place to stay. Didn't have a place to live while they were sailing there. Didn't have money to enter the country while they were sailing there. God was preparing things. They began to hold meetings in the YMCA and in a couple of Baptist missions. And before you knew it, that thing spread, just exploded. They started the apostolic faith church over there that still is going today. Thousands of people were saved. Hundreds of people were healed simply as they laid their hands on folks, prayed for them. Plague, it broke out in South Africa. A lot of people were dying. They had the bodies stacked up like cordwood. And the people were afraid to go near them because they said this is contagious. You've got to stay away. And the bodies were rotting and the stench was everywhere. And Mr. Lake went out there with a shovel and just started digging holes himself and started putting the bodies in the hole. Parishioners came to him. Townsfolk came to him, said, Pastor. Mr. Lake, don't you think you ought to be careful about this? This is a dangerous disease. Mr. Lake said, not worried about that. We have to honor the dead the right way. They deserve a burial. I'm not going anywhere near those bodies to touch them. Mr. Lake said in his writings, it doesn't matter how dead those folks are. There's a power in me that's greater than what's in them. Then he told them that, and they said, well, I I don't know about that. He said, look, I'm telling you right now, whatever infectious disease they have, you could put it in the center of my hand, and it would die because of the power of God in my body. Well, he had doctors and stuff there in the area, and you know exactly what they did. They went over there to where some of the decedents were, and they took saliva samples and brought back some of the germs, and he had told them, you could put the germ in the center of my palm, stick my palm under a microscope, and I promise you the germ will die. That's exactly what they did. Stuck it under a microscope, and they watched as that little thing wriggled and writhed, And stopped moving. And he said to them, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is greater in me than the law of sin and death. Folks, there's help in the valley. There's help from the hills. And there's help in the sanctuary. But somebody has to know God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But one of love power, and that of a sound mind. Amen? Come on, let's stand and lift our hands to this lovely God, and let's just worship him for a few moments. Oh God, we honor you and worship you this evening. Truly, you've been good to Israel. But as Paul says at the end of Galatians, we the church are Israel also. So Father, we thank you for how good you've been to each one of us. 
Thank you for your mighty hand of blessing, Lord. Thank you for how you've stretched it forth and done signs and wonders in our behalf. Making a way, preparing a way, even when we had no idea you were before us on that road. I thank you, God, for bringing the right people along our path, the right people into our lives. I thank you for the financial blessings that you brought to so many of us, God. We worship you now. We love you because you're our comforter. You're our helper. You're the one that provides for us joy. And God, when our adversaries are opposed to us and causing us problems, we know that we can find help in you, God. So right now we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, and we glorify your name. You are a great God, oh God. You're bigger than all of our problems, greater than all of our circumstances. You said whoever calls on that mighty name of Jesus will be delivered, saved, rescued, and brought out of their trouble, God. That's what you said. So we thank you we can whisper that mighty name of Jesus. That name of Jesus, that mighty name of Jesus, oh God, that name of Jesus, synonymous with help and salvation, Jesus, oh God, that name, oh God, that name, we love you, God, how wonderful you are, God, thank you, oh God, you're wonderful, God, how wonderful you are, Yes, oh God, that Savior, that King of Kings, oh God. Oh, help me sing this song. He is Lord, He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord you're my Lord you're my from the dead and you're my Lord and my knees shall bow and my tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh yes, Lord. How lovely you are, God. Jesus, we love you tonight. Thank you, oh God. Oh God, how wonderful you are. There's anybody here tonight feels like they have a word of exhortation. Pass it on to us. Certainly want to hear it. We honor you, Jesus, and love you, oh God. How wonderful you are, God. 
Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. Oh yes, oh yes, oh God, oh God. Oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, he alone is worthy, for he alone worthy, for he alone is worthy, for he give you all the glory we give you all oh yes we do we give you all the glory we give you all the glory Father God, thank you, Father God. You are a deliverer, you are a rescuer, you are our best friend, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Isn't he a good God, folks? Oh, my. Why would anybody want to turn their backs on someone as lovely as he? God. Ah, I tell you, you know, just thank the Lord we get to fellowship with one another. Don't forget Tuesday night, Bible study, glorifying the king through his word. Praise the king and ask God to be with you all till we meet again in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.